while you're doing that, I'll start with my story. So um, yesterday, yesterday, I was talking, I was sitting at lunch uh, in the cafeteria with commuters, and it was wonderful, and it was so great. And, um, and so we were catching up on the summer and what everybody was up to, and I have to admit, it felt kind of chaotic, um, because if you have yet to be in the cafeteria, it's loud. It's, it's loud. Um, and so as the room got louder and louder, we got louder and louder so that we could hear each other and hear what's going on in the summer, what had happened in their summer. And um, at one point, I was like, so I was doing renovations this summer. And then I had the thought of like, why am I, why am I yelling? They are right here. Like, why, am I, why was I yelling at Logan, who was right beside me? And uh, I have to admit, I have asked myself the same question quite a few times over the 546 days. Why are we yelling? Why are we yelling? It has been such a chaotic world, hey? Such chaos. Racially charged killings chaos. Governments being overthrown, chaos. Refugees desperately seeking asylum, chaos. The discovery of hundreds and thousands of children, chaos. Our world shutting down and then hobbling to try to get back together, chaos. Divisive propaganda, chaos. Moral failings of celebrities, chaos. Moral failings of celebrity pastors, Chaos. It's all chaos. And everybody has something to say about everything. And everybody's yelling at everybody to prove that you're, they're right and you're wrong. And we are just yelling with such cutting words to prove ourselves. It's crazy. It was it's been chaos, hasn't it? And the amount of words, the amount of words that have been coming our way to express all of these messages that promise to alleviate the chaos, that promise to alleviate all the stress, to answer the questions that we all have, all the words, it seems endless. It seems endless. Like, I will put, turn on my phone, I'll go onto Instagram, and then I have to immediately shut it down because it's just words firing at me. And we hear, so we hear political and economic voices argue and say, we need to create better systems. If we create better systems, if we reallocate, if we reorganize, if we restructure our lives, we will build a life with equality and charity, and it'll be great. We have those voices. And then we have other voices which are much more personal, which are much more emotionally charged that say, in fact, it's the systems that are the problem. The systems have repressed our souls, and what we really need is self-revelation. We need to get to know ourselves. We need to self-actualize and self-educate and do some Pinterest therapy and seek justice for ourselves and for our neighbors. And if we do all of that, then we will build a world where there is equality and charity, and it will be wonderful. And all of these voices are competing. 
right? They've been competing with such biting words, and none of it fosters equality or charity at all. And it's just words, and we've missed it. We're missing it. And I'm a little bit sad because as Christians, we've missed it too, because we've added to the yelling. We've added to the voices when really we're missing it. We're missing the word. The word. Just one, we're missing Jesus. That's the word, the one word that we need. Not many words, right? Not many words, just the word. In fact, John 1, 1 is where we're going to start. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, and the word, sorry, the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was, and though, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human passion or plan, but born of God. The word. Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and mercy. The word, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. And Lord, as we take a peek at your word, would we not hear my words? yours. Amen. So this incredible text is the prologue of John's gospel, his account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at John's gospel and how Jesus has revealed himself to some of the most unlikely of characters. But John wants us, his audience, to read those accounts, the revelatory interactions that Jesus makes with this prologue in mind. This is the filter. Now, John's environment, different than ours. However, there's some similarities. It's filled with voices, competing voices. So we have some at the time who are convinced that the observance of the law is the only way to worship Yahweh, and Yahweh is the only one to be worshipped, and the only place to worship is in the tabernacle. Others 
very passionate about the worship of many gods of Greek mythology and devoted to the practice of, of a broader spirituality. And then there's a group of people that are sort of a mixed bag of those two things, just trying things out. And then there are others who have heard of the way, who have had an experience and a transforming experience with Jesus, and they've heard the good news. And all of these voices are competing and creating chaos, and they all want to be heard. And there's truth comes out, as John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He took on flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The Word didn't just appear to be human. The Word became human. John's description shows that he's clearly talking about Jesus, a human being whom he knew, whom he loved. And at the same time, he's talking about the creator of the universe. And in this, in Jesus, the ultimate revelation of God, the living picture of God's holiness, the one who, as Colossians 1, 7 says, holds creation together. And this description of Jesus as the word would have shocked, in fact, angered the original audience, both Greeks and Hebrews, because in the Hebrew scripture, the word was an agent of creation or was the source of God's message to his people through prophets, or it was God's law, his standards of holiness. In Greek philosophy, the word was the principle of reason that was governed by the world, or the thought, that's, uh, the thought still in the mind. And to say that the word wasn't just reason, but a person, would have been shocking. And to say that the word dwelt with us in Jesus, not in the tabernacle where God had dwelt with his people in the desert, would have been alarming. This is this declaration that John is making that Jesus is the word silences the rhetoric, if only just for a moment, so that the word of God could be clear. Jesus dwells with us. While to the, Jew re the Jewish readers, saying that Jesus was God was blasphemous, and to the Greeks to say that the word became flesh was unthinkable, John takes his time to understand that it is. All the chaos can be silenced through one, Jesus Christ. He is the answer to the chaos. He is the answer to the noise. He is the answer to all of the words. Jesus is the answer. One word. It's a bit of a shockingly simplistic or simplistic message, really. When you read it at face value, it's pretty simple. However, this is no simplistic concept, right? Because he's not just informing who God is. He is informing who the word, who Jesus is, but he's also showing what God does, what the word does, what Jesus does. The word is not just about words. 
Jesus is not just about sermons. Newsflash, Jesus is not just about sermons. I'm going to hop off. Okay, sorry. I didn't know if I was going to do this. Can I say this? Okay. Let's just talk about our devotional lives for a second. Based on the word of God, yeah? This is where we go. This is where we go, the word of God. We go to the word of God to build the foundation of our lives. Please, please do not build the foundation of your life on someone else's sermon. Okay? I am mediocre at best. So please, do not base your spiritual life on my sermon. And there are people who are really great at speaking. That's wonderful. And the Lord uses them and speaks through them. But the word of God is what we are supposed to build our foundation of our life on, okay? Where are my notes? Okay. So here, <laughs> where am I? Okay. So this, this prologue here, verses 1 through 14, it prepares us for the rest of John's gospel, where Jesus' life and ministry is expressed. And throughout his ministry, Jesus is constantly silencing people. He's constantly silencing them because of what he does, not just by what he says, because he's Jesus, the word, God who dwells with us. Now, this word, Jesus, God who has dwelt in flesh and blood, moves into the neighborhood. Now, I know we're not supposed to talk about the message so much, but that's what Eugene Peterson, that's how he talks about it. He says, Jesus moves into the neighborhood. And this is the essence of our faith. This is where we don't compromise. We do not compromise on the fact that Jesus is God who dwelt with us. He's not just one Savior in our world. He is the Savior of the world. He is not one smart man. He is the only Son of Man. He is only hope. He is the only one, the one word, God with flesh. On. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He became flesh and dwelt among us, full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory. See, the truth of God dwelling with us is an absolute opposition to other religious beliefs, and to other philosophical understandings. This is what makes Christ and, and us as Christ followers distinct. We follow a God who put on skin and dwelt with us to make a way so that we would be children of God. And he did so because his desire is to be known by his people that's his desire, to be known. Now, this reality, I feel like I, I'm, this, this isn't new to us. <laughs> We're here at a Bible school, right? This isn't new to us. This isn't, 
Kim, how exciting. Well, yes, it's exciting. But what's happened is, is this has lost its shock and awe. But this is absolute shock and awe. We serve a God who had skin and bones and blood, lived with us, and inhabited this world so that we would have a way. And we have been given this word. We have been commissioned with this word to share this message. And I am a bit sad at times to say that I and us, if I can put us together, are a little bit clearer and a little bit louder with our political views than we are with maybe the gospel truth. And perhaps we are more clear with our opinions on sexuality or perhaps, you know, what it means to be an individual, or we share our pop culture or our pop psychology references quite freely, or we continue on with our celebrity pastors in hopes to bring order to the chaos, and we just add our own bits and pieces. And I have to admit, I have my own opinions. I do. Lots of them. Got oodles of them, right? I like Brene Brown. I think Jordan Peterson is really interesting. There are some really, really cute Instagram posts that I sometimes think, I should share this. Maybe it would fix the world. Right? And there are some pastors. Again, I feel like I'm dogging pastors, and I'm not. But there are some pastors with some really great one-liners. Right? Hey, just, you just, don't you just want to tell everybody they're one-liners? Maybe that'll fix the world. No. They're, they're okay lines. You know, Pinterest can help us out. Instagram can, you know, it's got some catchy stuff. But let us not forsake the power of the word. Let us not forsake the transformation that happens as Jesus dwells among us. Now, if you would let me, because I do feel like I'm dogging pastors, I am going to quote one. So, Rich Velotis says that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. The word didn't become a religious system. The word didn't become a theological checklist. The word didn't become a political movement. The word didn't become an ecstatic experience. The word became flesh, loving, embodied experience, and lived among his people. So the word chose to become flesh, taking on the clothing of humanity, embracing it fully, walking in it, speaking through it, and revealing the reality of God to the world. Not about systems, not about concepts, not about opinions. He communicated himself so that all who believe and accept him have the right to become, are given the right to become children of God. Again, I, I know, I'm, I know this, I'm preaching to the choir. I get it. But sometimes I need reminding. And I know I'm not alone. And I'm not that special. So you do too. Our God delights 
in making himself known. For the sake of being known. He just wants to be known. And so he did went to great lengths. Great lengths. Now, I'm going to call this a holy pause. Here's my holy pause. Verses 11 to 9 says this. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the wor- and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but they did not receive him. Now, I, I know this text is about believing in Jesus. This text is about salvation. But Jesus went to those Jews and Greeks who did not recognize him, who could not see Jesus for who he was, God, therefore they could not receive him for what he does, save. But here's my Holy Spirit pause for us. It makes me wonder, as God revealed himself through scripture, or as he reveals himself through scripture, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit whispering to our spirits, Do we recognize him? Or do we have a particular expression that we are expecting from him? Are we expecting him to do something? Or are we expecting him to say a certain thing or do a certain thing? That in our expectation, we actually miss God revealing himself. Do we miss when Jesus reveals himself to our circumstances in our lives or in our neighborhoods? And it it causes me to pray for me. Like Like quite personally, I prayed this. And for you and truly for my brothers and sisters around the world. Let us recognize the dwelling of God in our lives Lord, help me to bring my attention to you and help me to bring the attention of others to, you, to your light that, they may, that you may shine in their darkness. I don't want to miss the revelation. So this made me think about John 19. So in John 19, Jesus is brought to Pilate by the leading priests. The priests and the crowd demand that Pilate crucify Jesus. They want him dead so badly that they're about to do a tradesies with Barabbas. And so Barabbas, a a rebel and a murderer, they would like for him to be freed more than they would like Jesus to be free. And so they scream at, at Pilate. They scream, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate says, what? crucify your king and they respond with we have no king but Caesar we know this right you've seen the passion (laughs) here are the priests God's people and they are so off course they did not receive what Jesus was revealing they could not see God Therefore, they could not receive what he had. They chose not to see God dwelling. Now, do you remember way back in the Old Testament when the Israelites, this is like back in Judges, they didn't have a king, they had judges. Because 
God's their king, yeah? And so God is their king, and yet they're looking around at all the other nations, and they're saying, well, we want a king too. We want to be just like them. And so God concedes, and he anoints Saul to be their king. And then David, and then Solomon, and so forth, right? And God would speak to his prophets. He would reveal to his prophets. And, and the Israelites, they would hear, and they would, you know, do their thing and sorry we want to live for you and then they'd live for a little bit and forget and then the cycle continues right so they had that but now the word the f- the completely full revelation of god clothed in humanity is just about to be lifted up on a cross and the people shout we have no king but caesar They don't even say, our king is David. They don't even say, our king is a man who is one of us. They say, we have no king but Caesar, the emperor of Rome, their enemy. They chose to recognize their enemy instead of God with skin on. I don't want to get that far off. Right? I want to recognize that God is dwelling among us. I don't want to be so pigeonholed on how I think God's going to reveal himself that I completely miss what he's saying. But here's the incredible, beautiful, wonderful love of God. The faithfulness of God. The glory of God. As Jesus is being lifted up on the cross, as he has died, then his resurrection and his ascension, he reveals God's heart yet again. He makes God known yet again. And he now dwells with us forever through his spirit. Just as John writes in verse 4 and 5, he says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Even when his people say, We have no king but Caesar, his light has not been overcome even though he was persecuted and tried, even though his light has not been extinguished, his glory continues to dwell among his people, and we are transformed. We are transformed, and transformation and hope cannot be the fruit of self-actualization. Transformation cannot be the fruit of some great pop psychology. It cannot be the fruit of a really great Instagram post. It cannot be the, the, the fruit of a really great quote. Transformation can only happen through God's self-disclosure and revelation through Jesus Christ. And God makes the initiative. He makes the initiative so that we can see, bless you, we can receive, and we can believe 
in God with flesh on so that we can be reborn and become children of God. Therefore, when we have believed, then we get to share the word. Then we get to share it. The lengths that God has gone to, truly, the lengths that God has gone to, to dwell with you and me. It's pretty amazing, eh? Oh, sorry. That we would have a God who loves us so much and dwells with us. Incredible. That's our God. That's who we sing to. That's who we live with every single day. So, when it's hard, when you fail, Graham, great word. When we fail, because it's going to happen. He is with us, living with us, spirit in us, dwelling with us. That's our, that's our God. How amazing. Well, that's not in my notes. Tears. Tears check. No. <laughs> I, what, what, now, now I want to just be, um, I'm just grateful. This is... I just love the Lord so much because what he does is not only does he, you know, give us himself, not only, but then he gives us really great activities to do. <laughs> How many knows the power of an object lesson? Who's done children's ministry this summer? <laughs> yeah. The power of an object lesson. Some, a cup and some bread. So if anybody poo-poos the idea, that's right, I said poo-poos. If anybody poo-poos the idea of an object lesson, remember, Jesus did it on the Last Supper. I love that we have this reminder, this symbol, you know, as packaged as it is, as sanitary as it is, we have this Oh, now my nose is running. We have this symbol that Jesus dwells with us. He dwelled with us. That the cracker, wafer, whatever it is that is made up of that, <laughs> no one knows. This cracker and this juice, these two tactile things which we're holding in our hands are a reminder of our tactile God. That he was flesh and bones. That he was blood and muscles. And he was embodied as a human being with divine nature. God in flesh dwelling among us. And so we come Incredibly thankful, hey? Grateful that God would dwell among us. So, if 
you can unwrap your very top layer. Here is this cracker, a reminder of God's flesh. That on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body. This is my body, a reminder of my body being broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember God's dwelling with us as we take this together. Can I just say, this is also the most wonderful thing because, because God dwells among us, he understands our humanity and gets a hoot out of these ridiculous cups, <laughs> right? But as we, as we hold this little tiny cup of juice, we're reminded that in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant, a new promise in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He said, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take this together in remembrance of him. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Now, I've talked a lot. We've laughed a little. But I want to echo what Gavin said and what the song said. There is something about staying still. See, God dwells with us. He took the initiative to dwell with us, but then he invites us to dwell with him. Now, big time dwell is to do life with Jesus. That's capital D dwell. Little d dwell is let's just dwell in his presence tonight. Let's just be in the presence of our God, the word. Let's be in the presence of Jesus tonight. If you want to stand and sing, you can stand and sing. If you want to sit and read your Bible, sit and read your Bible. If you want to just be silent, be silent. But let's dwell in the presence of our Jesus this evening. <laughs>